This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. It appears that there could be a showdown coming soon after the G7 summit over the tariffs that the Trump administration is putting in place against several countries, including our allies. President Trump has talked since the election about trying to level the playing field on trade, even with some of those allies. And Trump heads to Canada for the summit to discuss a variety of topics, but no doubt that some of our allies will want to talk with him as well on these tariffs. Joining us to discuss all of the latest, Ann Harrison, Professor of Multinational Management, as well as Business Economics and Public Policy here at the Wharton School. Anne, great to have you joining us today. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. So, obviously, this is going to be a very interesting week, to say the least, uh, with these meetings going on. Now, the finance ministers have just met. What has been the reaction that you have seen, and what has been your reaction to all of this issue surrounding putting tariffs, uh, really linking it to uh, our various allies? Well, I think it's exactly this link to allies that makes it such a, a surprising uh, past week. Um, President Trump has been threatening but actually hasn't followed through on tariffs for basically over a year now. And finally, in this last week, he uh, imposed 25 percent tariffs on imports of steel and smaller tariffs on aluminum. And first of all, what was shocking is that he actually followed through finally. But what was even more shocking was that um, those tariffs did not exempt our closest allies, in particular Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. So this is, as you can well imagine, these are uh, the allies with whom we already have a lot of agreements, with whom we have a lot of other close ties. And they're just outraged and really very upset because this this uh, move um, violates, first of all, international law, and and secondly, they're seeing it as a complete rejection of very long-term uh, support between uh, these Canada, Mexico, and and the EU. So basically, I think that's that's the primary uh, focus, and and um, well. That's all I want to say. Okay, not a problem. Uh, Patrick LeBlond uh, also joining us right now, senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation, as well as chair on business and public policy at the University of Ottawa's Graduate School of Public and International Affairs. And also with us as well, Mary Lovely, professor of economics at Syracuse University and a non-resident senior fellow of the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Patrick and Mary, great to have you with us as well. Thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, Patrick, we'll start with you. Uh, with all that has gone on here, and we were just mentioning with Anne, it was a little bit surprising for some to see uh, the Trump administration go through with these with these tariffs. And obviously, we've talked with you in the past about uh, the NAFTA negotiations. I, I think it's, to a degree, it's a little surprising to me that uh, that these tariffs would go through while NAFTA is still an issue. Well, yes and no, I guess. Um, the, 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 the Trump administration has always said that, you know, if, if they didn't, if, if, if the negotiations were not moving fast enough or certainly in a direction that, that it liked, uh, they would impose those tariffs and, and in a way use them as leverage in a negotiation. And, and clearly, at least from what we know from our prime minister, 
uh, is that um, you know there was some kind of deal on the table, uh, except that then the sunset clause uh, resurfaced, and and the, the Prime Minister Trudeau said, well, I'm I'm not coming down to Washington uh, if, if if that's still on the table. And then apparently the, the, either the administration or Mr. Trump himself uh, decided that, uh, well, uh, this was unacceptable and therefore uh, decided not to uh, extend the exemption, impose the tariffs, and, and uh, hopefully gain some kind of leverage in negotiations. But clearly that is by far. Mary, what's been your reaction? Well, I mean, I think Patrick's right on the money. Uh, this administration keeps asking for things uh, that it knows are impossible once it seems to think it has a victim on the hook. And I think our allies are increasingly waking up to that and beginning to, in a sense, have some solidarity in knowing they're all being treated in a way that is contrary to international law and which, frankly, just is politically, un- un- you know, it's not viable within their own their own countries. So... Uh, right now, it doesn't look like they have many options other than to resist. It's one thing, uh, Mary, I, I think that you know the connection between NAFTA and the tariffs on Mexico and, and, um, and uh, Canada, uh, because as was just mentioned, you know, seemingly they want to get a deal done quicker. But with the EU, that's, that's a little bit of a different playing field, it seems like. Am I correct? Well, you know, we, always, we also have issues with the Europeans. For example, we've asked uh, them to lower their tariffs on automobiles. Right. So, yes, it is different in the sense that we don't have a free trade agreement with them that we're trying to renegotiate. But you're seeing kind of the same uh, MO over and over again in terms of asking for things which are quite uh, extraordinary within the context of the World Trade Organization and how trade liberalization has always happened. Uh, and uh, this idea of, of having tariffs over the head of a trading partner. So, yes, it's different in form, but, you know, we're seeing the base, same kind of uh, behavior from the American side. And Harrison, uh, the president made a comment recently that I wanted to get your reaction to, and, and he basically said the U.S. Had been, has been ripped off by other countries for years on trade. Time to get smart. When you hear those words, well, one, obviously the words have an impact, but has the U.S. been at you know at a at a deficit on trade in recent years, or has it been relatively fair in past administrations? Well, um, actually, the U.S. has been playing uh, a game of trying to open other countries' markets so for its goods uh, for basically generations and generations. Um, the, I think this is really more of a negotiating stance on, on Trump's part. He's, tr- he's really kind of upping the ante and playing a, uh, a game where he's essentially saying, we feel violated, uh, we want something from you, and we're threatening to act if you don't do it. So he's, he's really, it's really kind of, I, I don't think there's any, there's not any clear um, support for his claim. Um, what he is referring to is our large trade deficit, yeah. which really has nothing to do with, uh, with, with exports on the part of other countries. It's more about the fact that our 
that our country borrows more than it essentially makes and and needs to to support that in some way. So Patrick, uh, in there in Canada, what is going to be going on later this week with the with the G7 meeting of the of the leaders? Obviously, I mentioned before uh, as you were coming on about the finance ministers meeting uh, over the weekend, but what is going to be going on there? I, I can imagine it would rather be a, a contentious meeting with a lot of these leaders. Uh, yes, I mean certainly if if Mr. Trump shows up, uh, it's, I guess there's still a possibility that he may not if he doesn't feel the love coming from the other G, G, G6 uh, leaders. Uh, but if not, yes, uh, there will be a lot of pressure on him. Um, first of all, to explain himself, and then uh, to try to explain to him the consequences. Uh, that this will have not only for you know the, the the various countries and allies, but also the United States, and um, the dangers also vis-a-vis uh, countries like China or India um, that you know are rising emerging powers, and then certainly the United the United States has issues with China, and and a lot of people agree that the best way to deal with those issues is is to present a common front, and and right now the U.S. is is kind of blowing a hole in, in, in this common front. And, and I think that's where the leaders are, are going to come in and say, look, there are bigger issues to deal with and, 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 and then trade deficits. And, uh, and, and um, I think that's really uh, what they're going to try to convey to him. But frankly, I, I'm not sure they will be uh, very successful because, as, as Anne mentioned, also Mary, that this is how Trump tends to, to negotiate, right? Yeah. You hit first and then you kind of say, well, if you want me to stop hitting you, you better accept all these other things that, that I would like to get from you. And then, you know, the other leaders will say, you know what, that's not going to work. And then so you, you choose what you want to do. There's there's also, Mary, the 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 issue of the security argument being used uh, by the uh, president in this administration, uh, seeing these these trade problems, uh, in their opinion, a, as a security problem, which, again, a lot of people, I think, are, are having a hard time kind of uh, linking the two together. Yes, I think almost everyone views it as a very, it's, it's cynical uh, in the sense that it, 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 there is really no basis for declaring, uh, you know, that steel from Canada, for example, is a security risk, as Prime Minister Trudeau pointed out. Uh, rather, it appears that the reason why Section 232, the part of U.S. law that's being used uh, to levy these tariffs, is um, because it allow it affords maximum discretion to the president. So yeah. it's a tool that he can pull off the shelf and use rather quickly. What ends up being, in your mind, the 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 uh, the impact, and then obviously the response by a lot of these countries uh, as we move forward, assuming that these these tariffs stay in place. Well, there's two important impacts. First of all, it really denigrates uh, international law in this area in the sense that. You know, we all know that it's not being used for national security. If other countries take this to the WTO, it puts the WTO in the terrible position of having to rule on what is national security, which uh, they're, you know, it's quite loath to do. We, there's a, an enormous amount of discretion given to countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it rules against the United States, it, it weakens that body. The second cost, of course, is that it alienates our allies, and therefore it actually weakens national security for us to make this claim because it puts a big wedge between us and our closest allies who have stood by our side in a variety of different situations, and we could need again in the near future. We will need again. It's very important for the, uh, the Atlantic Alliance to be strong. 
844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We are joined by uh, Patrick LeBlond of the University of Ottawa, Mary Lovely of Syracuse University, and also Ann Harrison from here at the Wharton School. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I can imagine, Patrick, what the discussions are within uh, the government up there in Canada right now. And obviously, the discussions now here in the United States are also involving our government uh, with the reaction of of, uh, various members of Congress, both Republican and Democrat. But what has been the reaction there by the leaders in that country? Well, overall, the, the reaction has been very positive. Uh, I think uh, Canadians understand that um, Trump's decisions to impose tariffs on steel and aluminium, uh, uh, Canadian steel and aluminium, are, are unacceptable, and certainly the whole justification of national security when we've been allies for so long. Uh, and, and, and Canadians also understand that you know that there has to be retaliation, uh, and that a strong message has to be sent. And so, in that sense, the government here has the full support, I, I would say, of the Canadian population. Uh, it's unfortunate that we've reached this stage. Uh, I think most Canadians, and certainly the, the, this government, wanted to go uh, into the, the NAFTA negotiations in a kind of positive um, frame of mind and hoping to get a, a deal that would be win-win-win, as our uh, foreign minister mentioned. Uh, but unfortunately, this is not how the United States has wanted to play this. And therefore, we, we've been put into a situation where we have to react. And then we're doing so with other allies, whether the Mexicans or the Europeans and the Japanese. Yeah. Um, and then that, that, and we're going to continue to not only maintain the tariffs, but also use diplomacy and negotiations and consultation. But I, I think Canadians are, are, are ready to... to um, you know, bite the bullets for as long as, as will be necessary and see how the domestic political situation will play out in the United States with the upcoming midterm elections and, and once the tariffs start hitting um, specific products uh, coming from the U.S. into Canada. Well, and obviously I, I mentioned it to Patrick a second ago, but the reaction here in the United States with some members of Congress is not very accepting to uh, to these tariffs right now as well, especially on the Allies. Yeah, well, I, I think the best way to understand this is think about a bully in the playground, right? And he has um, he has this opportunity. He thinks he's the strongest person on the playground. And so he measures up all his friends and he says, look, um, I want something from you and you have to give it to me because I'm stronger than you. And then it turns yeah. out that he somehow misjudged uh, his allies. And in fact, he's living in a different world than 30, 40 years ago. And in fact, his allies are just as strong as him. Now, in another scenario, they would have backed down and he would have gotten what he wanted. Um, But in this scenario, particularly in the case with China, um, the others aren't going to back down. They're going to fight back. And so you end up in what's known as a prisoner's dilemma where everybody fights everybody and everyone is left off much worse off than they were before. And so my sense is that he he threatened tariffs. He thought he could get away with yeah. concessions, and he just basically misjudged. The only case where he might have a chance is the EU, which is essentially so fragmented and, and has such different interests between, say, Germany, France, 
uh, Britain dealing with Brexit, that there he, he might actually get a lack of response just because it's not one united country. What would the process be, Anne, if assuming that uh, our allies do take this to, to the WTO, what would be the process that this would go through? And would the, these tariffs be put uh, on hold while, uh, while this is being uh, discussed by the World Trade Organization? So actually, I would defer to Mary on okay. that. But my understanding yep. is that it is a longer process, um, and they already have taken it to the WTO, but that a resolution of that can take um, a very long time, um, and that some countries like Mexico, for example, have chosen to act um, without that longer process because they're just so infuriated right. by these actions. Mary? Uh, yes, this is this is correct. What Anne is saying, it is a long process. Some some countries have already uh, begun that process, uh, and their retaliatory tariffs, if this actually was a na- if they were was a national security issue, uh, would be permittable under the WTO. However, countries are saying these are not. This is not national security. This is what's called the safeguard action that the United States is deciding to protect its industry for its own domestic reasons. And we're going to um, claw back some of the concessions we gave, basically remove market access for U.S. companies, and that would be GATT legal. So they're reinterpreting how the U.S. is behaving in a way to squeeze it into the WTO rules. So this puts us in a, again, it, it really adds tremendous pressure and begins to diminish the, the rules-based global trading system that the U.S. has established over the last 60 years. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. On the line with Ann Harrison of the uh, Wharton School, Patrick LeBlanc of the University of Ottawa, Mary Lovely of Syracuse University. Your comments are welcome uh, throughout at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. And I, I think, Ann, for a lot of the people that are listening to us right now who may be driving in their cars or listening on their computers, how much of this will eventually end up getting passed down to the consumer, whether it be auto prices going higher? uh, You know, there's so many different areas we could look at this. Well, until this week, um, it was all hypothetical because there were lots of threats in the air. But now that that steel and aluminum tariffs have been imposed and that countries um, that export to the U.S., like Canada export cars, um, are starting to think about retaliating, very much of it could be passed uh, down to consumers. We would expect higher auto price, certainly higher auto prices, higher prices of anything that uses steel, for example. Um, So I couldn't give you an exact number because so far we're only talking about, you know, a couple billion dollars worth necessarily of, of, of imports. But down the line, if this process continues, it could really uh, change the, the, the landscape. And, and Patrick, that's been one of the things that we've talked about in the past about the, the NAFTA negotiations, about how much is involved in the auto industry between, obviously, the U.S. and Canada, but also the U.S. and Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the industry is, is highly integrated across three countries. And, and, and the fact that now we have these tariffs on steel and aluminium certainly will, will increase prices uh, for, for, for the entire industry. And, and part of the retaliation from, from the Canadian government was exa- exactly that, was 
to create a level playing field vis-a-vis uh, U.S. producers of steel and aluminium, um, and you know, in a way not to to put uh, Canadian producers at a disadvantage. But unfortunately, that raises prices for everyone, and and ultimately uh, the consumers will will have to pay because even if uh, companies uh, redirect their their supply chains uh, from other parts of the world, or in order to avoid the tariffs, it will still mean uh, higher prices in terms of transportation, for instance. So anyway, uh, we we look at this, it will mean higher prices, and ultimately it will mean uh, lower volumes because consumers, of course, will will adapt. Either they buy uh, cheaper cars or they they delay purchasing cars. And, of course, uh, investment. Uh, And that's the big issue with all this uncertainty and, and these added costs. Uh, a lot of the uh, of the companies in the automotive industry will say, "Well, look, you know, we're just going to wait uh, before maybe expanding plants or building new plants, and uh, you know, maybe we'll put our money somewhere else in other growth markets like China and and, and others, uh, and, and and see where we, we go." But for now, North America is kind of as a standstill. And, and that's unfortunate for uh, for job creation and, and wealth creation. Mary, is there is there an overall economic impact on the U.S. economy, and especially considering that you know, we've been coming back over the last decade or so from the recession. Uh, obviously, the jobs numbers have remained pretty steady. Uh, the GDP growth rate hasn't been as probably a lot of people would like, but it's still been uh, pretty good o- over the last couple of years. Uh, it, is there a potential turn here for the U.S. economy because of all of these tariffs, and if you have the retaliation as well? Well, I think so far, as Ann mentioned, they've really been more uh, prospective than actually levied. So we've been uh, saved so far from any big effect. Just the effect of steel alone, uh, the automakers are estimating it would add about 1% to the cost of the car, which is is basically kind of what you get to negotiate at the dealership. So it is already, you know, this the steel alone is taking money out of people's pockets. The auto tariffs will have, a, I think, a very big effect. Uh, estimates suggest that the pass-through of that extra increase in costs could be anywhere from one, you know, two-thirds to 100%. So if it's a $5,000 extra tax, that would basically funnel through right to the wallet of a $5,000 hit. The other thing I think is that people don't understand sometimes that almost all vehicles have imported content, especially when President Trump is threatening to levy these tariffs on Canada and Mexico. These these uh, industries across the country, these countries are so integrated. This uh, industry is so integrated across boundaries that, you know, we virtually don't even know how to separate American and Canadian content. Mm-hmm. Um, the unions uh, are, represents both sides of the uh, border. We've already seen, for example, the Steelworkers Union arguing against tariffs on Canada because it's the same union that represents workers on both sides. So this is getting into some pretty interesting territory with the auto tariffs uh, and the steel tariffs. As far as the economy goes, we're at a, you know, we're really lucky because this is hitting us at a time when the economy is performing very well. Right. However, we already see, you know, some, some people call this Goldilocks labor market because while unemployment is very low, wages haven't really picked up right. in a way that we would like to see. This could threaten that. Well, and it also it comes at a time and when you think about just the last week or so, we saw on Wall Street the markets take a big dip, you know, just last week one day. But then we've basically eaten all of that loss up. So we're now basically almost picking up the pace again, even though we haven't reached the pace and that uh, that we saw, you know, say uh, a year and a half ago when we were uh, really pushing 25,000 on the Dow Industrials. 
Yeah, I I mean, no one can really predict the, the stock market. So I'm going to leave that question yeah. aside. But I do want to just pick up a really important point that, that Mary just made, which is that the Steelworkers Union of America, okay, the U.S. steelworkers are actually opposing this move. So Trump is ostensibly doing all this for the people, right? But the people whose, whose interests are most likely to be affected are actually against this tariff. So that tells you a lot about what it's not going to do for them. Now, of course, part of the reason they're opposing it is because their brothers in Canada and the same union are, are also going to be hurt. But the, I just want to make sure that, that this message is, is loud and clear. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people in America who are not doing well, right? The wages of the average wage of the lower 50 percent of the population, something like $18,000, which is scary. But really, tariffs are not the way to solve that problem. The steel workers themselves are telling us that. So I just want that, that, that to be really clear yeah. to, to whoever's listening out there. Patrick, what's your expectation that we're going to see happen here uh, from Canada's perspective uh, in, in the next several weeks and months? Well, uh, we, we, for the next month, we have a consultation process. So the government is, is, is going to receive uh, input from industry. I mean, I'm sure they've already consulted quite widely, but at least they have to allow for the next month a, a, a public consultation process and people to come in and say, well, look, you know, if you do these tariffs, this is how it's going to affect us. And then they will finalize uh, the, the whole retaliation for July 1st. Uh, unless, of course, uh, Mr. Trump backs down uh, from his own tariffs uh, in the meantime. Uh, but if not, yeah, the, the, the process will go on. There will be some tweaks and adjustments. But, uh, and then we'll, we'll see how it plays out uh, in, in the summer in the U.S., and especially as the, the, the midterm campaigns ramp on and uh, the kind of pressure that will be put on, on Mr. Trump. But, you know, I think here we're, we're bracing for, for, the, for the medium term, and then we think that this might last for, for months. We'll have to see if, if uh, the administration will, the Trump administration will impose tariffs on, on, on actually autos and, and, and other products as if they threaten to do. Uh, and if so, then uh, we'll, we'll probably have a, another uh, escalation. But for now, we're hoping that, that uh, the uh, retaliation response from the Canadians and the Mexicans will be enough to put uh, or put enough pressure on the Trump administration to, to back down and, and, and basically get back to negotiating in good faith uh, if they ever did uh, and, and try to get a new NAFTA deal. That would be good for everyone. That's really yeah. the hope uh, in the meantime. And there will be continued engagement with, with our partners in the United States, both in, in Washington and Congress in the state legislatures, governors, uh, even at, at the, the city level, and also with the business community to really kind of push them and say, look, this is not about you guys. This is about the Trump administration. Uh, you know, we want to work with you, work with us uh, to put as much pressure as possible so we can put an end to this. As mentioned, everyone's hurting with this. No one benefits. Thank you, everybody, for your time today. And Mary, Patrick, thank you all. Greatly appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Ann Harrison from the Wharton School, Patrick LeBlanc from the University of Ottawa, Mary Lovely from Syracuse University, all joining us as we discuss uh, the uh, the role of tariffs right now here in the United States and with uh, some of our allies. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.